Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Jim Anderson is partner at Goldbusters and has over three decades of experience in donor psychology, brand strategy, social media marketing, multimedia production, and board and organizational training. Jim currently serves for the third time as the president of AFP Northern Arizona, and he has also been a key voice on the AFP International Communications and Marketing Committee, the Committee on Directorship, and serves as an instructor at Northern Arizona University. He's known as one of the funniest people in fundraising, and you can find him online, social media, and through his popular Jim-isms column. So Jim, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. I wanted to ask you about something you have in your Jim-isms, uh, which is a, I don't know if you described it as a column or a site, but it's all these great quotes that you have. And one is, I decided a long time ago that I will no longer shovel coal into someone else's machine. What I do has to matter. I have to care. And I wanted to ask you what the thinking is behind that. Where were you shoveling coal and whose machine was that? Well, before I started um, working in the world of nonprofits and fundraising um, organizations and philanthropy, um, before I started doing that with Alice Ferris, I used to be a salesman salesman. Uh, I specifically worked with local market consumer research companies. Um, people might know the name Nielsen or Arbitron, radio or television um, rating services. And I would sell those uh, consumer surveys to television stations and sports franchises, outdoor companies, print, et cetera. And I typically was selling to the sales managers or the station managers. Uh, and I made more money during that time of my life than I've ever made. And more so than that, I raised millions of dollars. I, I handled a $13 million region um, when I started working with them and um, always overachieved, received Negotiator of the Year awards, um, Overachiever awards, things like that. But um, I really started to reach a point that I didn't like what I was doing, frankly, because I didn't like some of the smarmy people I had to deal with and tolerate. And I mean, I, I had situations where a general manager would have his office position so that he could watch the parking lot and I'd be having a meeting with one of these guys and a woman would walk up approaching the building and he would just pause mid-sentence and ogle her and then um, resume as though he had been talking the whole time. And um, I just really reached this point that I didn't care for it and realized that with each sell, sale I was making, I was selling a little bit of my soul. And I was a single dad. Um, I raised my two kids from the time they were uh, eight and 11 until they were grown, I guess, parents. We never stop raising our kids. 
But at one point, the, the company was sold and they demanded that I moved. And I explained to them that they, they knew better, that I wasn't going to move. And they told me I had no choice. And I told them, you haven't been paying attention. I always have choices. And I told a, a previous manager just that. I'm never going to shovel coal into somebody's machine again. And, um, and I haven't since. Alice and I have a, a philosophy that that stems from when she told me that we could take her consulting firm full-time more than 15 years ago. Um, actually, we met more than 15 years ago. I guess it's been about 14 or so that we've been full-time uh, with uh, our firm, Goldbusters. She was working on the business plan, and she says, well, well, what would you like in the business plan? I said, I only need you to put two things in it for me to be happy. I will only work with people I respect for causes I believe in. And um, we've stayed true to that for the most part. Sometimes you enter into um, a relationship with someone and you think you respect them and you think you care about their cause, but then you get to know them and realize it's a bad fit. And that's when we fire clients. <laughs> wow, that, that's, it's very interesting. I remember Lawrence Kasdan, you know, the, who directed The Big Chill and yeah. a lot of different movies. And he talked about the origin of that phrase, the big chill, and said that it was you would be having a conversation with someone perhaps you went to school with years before and you were felt really close to, you thought you knew them, and then they would say something that just gave you a chill up your spine. Yeah. It sounds like you not only had the experience of working in the corporate sector and then seeing some of that maybe in deciding, well, I'm gonna make a switch, but you may have experienced that even in our world, in the nonprofit world. How do you make those decisions about when something doesn't feel right and how often does that happen? Um, well, I guess I'll answer the second part first and and it doesn't happen all that often. Um, you know generally people are are good people. Yeah. you only you only have to deal with the occasional troll. <laughs> so it doesn't happen all that often. And, <clears throat> and it's it ultimately comes down to what your own ethics and values are. I'm, I uh, teach a pro or teach a program called VALS, Values and Lifestyle Segmentation, and it focuses on the fact that there are three principal motivations. Those are principal or ideals motivated individuals, those status or achievement motivated, and those who are action or emotion motivated. However, some people are situationally oriented, motivated. That means under certain circumstances, they respond and uh, take different actions. And I tend to be um, what's referred to as an innovator, which is a person who possesses all of those things. But when you break out my typologies, I am an action-driven uh, person with a strong secondary uh, motivation of principles and ideals. So I'm, I'm not gonna play unless I'm having fun, but I won't play with people who break the rules. This is a, a challenge in fundraising to a degree already because we think about who we wish to solicit support from, uh, what kinds of, uh, of things we allow people on the outside to support, who we wish to serve on our boards, how, how they derive their wealth. So there's a surface level where maybe we're comfortable or uncomfortable with someone, but it sounds like, especially because of your your work, you probably take this a few levels deeper than that. 
And as you think about the ethics of fundraising, uh, have you been exploring this with your clients and others so that they can have a better sense about what's appropriate for them and, and do things that align with their values? Yeah, absolutely. The, the clients that we have the strongest relationships with, uh, they tend to be those people of strong moral character. It's back to the only working with people we respect. And those who um, we are have served for the longest time, I mean, we've, we have one client that we've been the outsourced development team um, managing their membership department and uh, their radio station, their underwriting sales. We've been doing that for 13 years, but it's because of our extreme loyalty to the general manager there, who is just a wonderful man. And um, and he he would never um, put profit before people. He would never take personal advantage or take personal gain um, at, the, uh, at the cost to someone else. So just a really great guy to work with creates a great culture because you know every organization um, in existence, just like every business, every team, they they have a specific culture, and and we see this all the time. I mean, Jay, you walked into a business or a restaurant or something, and as soon as you step in there, you're all smiles, and you look at the people interacting with each other, and you think to yourself, "Oh my God, these people hate each other in here," and you can't wait to get out of that. Um, and often management drives culture or allows it to grow. Um, when they when they lack uh, judgment or those ethics, mm-hmm. so it it is a challenge. But um, but again, most most nonprofits are there trying to do the right thing to 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 help to help people, to help animals, to help the planet, whatever their cause might be. They're doing it because they care about these things. Granted, you'll have people that it's just a job for, and and that's okay, as long as they're not crossing a personal line because we all have those lines. You know, we all we all have a line in the sand that we won't cross when it, in in about different situations, about different circumstances. Um, but some people are willing to to break that ethical standard if the if the benefit is high enough. Um, Alice and I just choose to work with people that that do have those lines and they won't break it even if it means turning down a million dollar gift, which we've done before. Mm-hmm. Now you were just talking about this, the vows, the values and lifestyle segmentation piece, which is fascinating. And I know people can, can probably uh, follow you for a lot of reasons, but, but that's uh, that's one of them. But you also talked in your recent um, session flash class about different ways that people then act and take action. Um, following those principles as connectors or mavens or experts, salespersons or closers. And as you were talking about it, I wanted to ask you, well, what, what, how do you define yourself? You just told us in terms of being an innovator, uh, but what about whether you're a connector or expert or salesperson or closer? Well, it depends upon who I'm working with and what the cause is. Um, Alice, uh, um, Alice Ferris again, she and I have been working together for a very long time and it depends upon the situation as to which role we will take. Now she's she's almost always a connector, um, more so than me, because you know she, she has a huge network and tremendous loyalty from from their friends. Another one of those gemisms um, is that 
you can measure the quality of a person's character by the fierceness of the loyalty of their friends. Those people who have the highest character have the most fierce and loyal friends. And so Alice is always a connector because of the respect that she commands and just the general uh, good person that she is. Mm -hmm. Um, there are certain circumstances, depends upon the network. If we if we start getting into negotiation or sales or things like that, naturally that means I'm the closer, but also that means there might be some networks I have that she doesn't. Um, and then it depends upon the topic. There, the, the only time Alice and I ever really have conflict is when we cross over skills. Because there are certain things that I know that she is far more of an expert than me on. Um, in regards to, in fact, most things. Um, but there are certain things that I'm clearly uh, the expert in regard to. Mm -hmm. And then there are those areas where we cross over. And, and that's the point of negotiation, okay? You know, we'll, we'll have to come up with a, a solution here or a compromise. Um, so it really depends upon the situation. Now, when I'm working with a nonprofit organization and I do go on calls um, and, and help with um, all aspects of of donor relations. Um, when you're a consultant, you have choices. You can either be a specialist um, or you can be a generalist with specialties. We tend to be generalists with specialties because we work with um, smaller and mid-sized organizations for the most part. Uh, actually, we work with organizations of all sizes, very large organizations, universities and hospitals and things like that as well. But um, it seems as though we have the greatest impact and therefore get the greatest reward with those smaller and mid-sized organizations. And so in that situation, you assess your team and you determine where their strengths are um, and you nurture those strengths and you fill in the gaps for them. So um, I may not be the right person to ask, but I might be the person who can detail um, a program or something like that. It always, it always depends when it depends upon who your team is uh, to determine what your role is. Sure. No, that, that, that makes sense. Um, when you were talking about the connection piece, I thought of your work, both of you are heavily involved in social media and you have been for a long time, especially AF peeps. But I have to admit, I, I see you as a person who is really invested in that and been very successful in communicating that way and also in a very funny way. Um, so can you talk a bit about the the importance of that to you and to the sector? I mean, AF peeps are beyond. What What is the role for all that now? I know it's just another communications platform, but you've used it much more richly than that. Well, I, I think it depends upon your platform for one thing. There, there are, um, depending upon what uh, social network you're working with, um, some things are better served than others. And it also depends upon who you want or who your audience is and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, I tend to work in Instagram a lot for the video element and also for the ease of sharing it to Facebook. Um, and also then I can I can share it out to, to Twitter and other platforms as well. Um, but really it's the visual storytelling. Uh, it's back to that, you know, a picture. If a picture's worth a thousand words, a, vid, a video must be worth a million, um, because what you what you're doing in visual storytelling is so much more than the words that you share. But but that goes as well with with photos that you share. Um, I I teach a 
I teach a presentation called um, It's for the Gram, which is basically a visual storytelling uh, presentation and it blends in how you use these different social networks and in it I talk about how you should not you should not always be trying to get somebody to take an action but you want them to feel something so you determine what you want them to feel do you want them to feel joy or, or glee do you want them to feel a little discomfort or pain do you want them to feel angry you know, what is it that you convey with those videos? And one of the other things that I do, Jay, consciously is um, I use social media for, for ourselves, for myself, for our clients. I use it for guerrilla marketing and, and guerrilla fundraising. And what I mean by that is I want to create something that's so engaging that you will slow down the scroll, that you will slow down and give me more than that second of attention that you might give another post because I want you to feel something. And in, in frequently what I'm doing is I'm using a visual, either a still or, or video, and I'm using that to capture your attention and I'm filling that, um, that message, uh, either visually or in, in the associated captions. I'm filling it with information that I want you to learn about or care about. <clears throat> so, that's really the way I approach using uh, the social media when I'm consciously doing something um, other than just entertaining myself, because I spend a lot of time just entertaining myself as well. And I figure um, my mom always said, you know, I said, she says, why do you do that? And I said, mom, I amuse me. She says, sometimes you're the only one. I said, then, then mom, I'm amused. And that's enough. <laughs> but I figure if, if it amuses me, there's a good possibility that um, it amuses other people as well. And the feedback that I get uh, is testament that that is true. So uh, has anything changed in that world over the past decade? I mean, what's what's the biggest change? <clears throat> the biggest change in social networks? Yeah, for fundraising, yes. For fundraising in particular, um, it is it is the the growth uh, the growth from social networking simply being uh, a way to share pictures with your family and friends um, to a recognition that it is now a brand identity for everyone with an account. Uh, you have to, you know, I had no interest when social media started of taking pictures of my food. I didn't care about other people's food and that seemed like all anybody was posting. Since then, I've used those food photos to do what I was just talking about. I use those food photos for guerrilla marketing mm -hmm. to show you where we're at, what we're doing, who we're working for, uh, who we're with, all these different things. But but I, I got started in it. And then as I'm using it, it is such an effective t tool to for fundraisers. Be and, but you have to remember well, uh, that point I made a moment ago is that everybody has a personal brand. So every individual, every donor, every volunteer, every staff member, every person that has a social media account has a brand that they generally are protective of. So, you know, often uh, you'll hear some um, some executive directors or board members or something that don't really get social um, generally because they don't have an account and generally they don't have an account because they fear too much exposure. Um, you'll get them to say that will say things like, well, I don't care. All they ever did was click on anything. We need them to make donations. 
and they they uh, um, they sell short this concept of clicktivism, right? You know, mm -hmm. didn't take an action. All you did was click. No, no, dude, that is an action. By clicking, you are indicating endorsement. That is the first step of engagement is endorsement. And I think something that a lot of people miss is that um, social media is not a silver bullet. Okay, they think you you do a post, all of a sudden you've got an ice bucket challenge and you're going to make millions of dollars. That's not how it works. Nobody takes an action unless they have interest and nobody can have interest unless they have awareness. Awareness drives interest, drives action. Your social media can always generate awareness for you if you do it reasonably well. And if you do it reasonably well, not only will the people gain an awareness of you, but they will gain an interest if it is something that they have an affinity for. And then they will potentially take an action. Awareness drives interest, drives action. Your social networks will always serve you if you approach it from that perspective. So how do we get people to stop using these things as megaphones instead of as actual uh, guerrilla marketing conversation machines where we're paying attention to what people's brands are and then helping them to, you know, spread the word of what matters to them. Yeah, that's a, it's, that's a really good point. And, uh, frankly, uh, it depends upon the person and there are some people you aren't going to change, um, because it's about their, their, um, their identity and their ego. Uh, if, you know, if they think that, that social networks are a broadcast tool, um, they're not very astute because it, that's really not what these social networks are. They are basically um, micro or niche targeting. You know, you, you have a specific audience that you want to target and what it is that you are sharing is going to appeal to a specific audience. This is not a broadcast tool. You're not you're not, um, you know, back back in the in where I grew up. I'm a farm boy from Southern Illinois. We used to go seining in the creeks, and so seining is basically you take a big net and you um, tie two two uh, uh, um, branches to it, and you walk down the sides of the creek in the water, and you just scoop up everything that's in there, and you you bring the net together, throw it on the bank, and you've got everything. You've got fish and crawdads and turtles and snakes and everything you can imagine in there. And if you think your social networks are a broadcast tool, then you're saning. You're, you're, you think you're going you're gonna to throw a net out there and capture everything, but it's not. What you're really doing is you're fly fishing, okay? You're being very specific. You're using a specific lure for a specific fish that you're after, mm -hmm. okay? So you, you need to think of your funder or your social uh, networks and your messaging in terms of fly fishing, not net fishing. I have to ask you, why fundraising? I mean, you're clearly passionate about it, but and and you, I assume you bring that passion to everything. So was that always there? I mean, was that from your day there from your days as a farm boy from Southern Illinois, or is that something that that philanthropy and this whole work you're doing now in this later half of your career has awakened in you? You mean the the passion or the conviction? Well, and, and yes, and why why fundraising? Because you have that passionate conviction about everything you're talking about. You do about, uh, I believe, about politics. You do about photography. Um, yeah. Well, I've always been a passionate person, and I think it stems from 
it, it does stem from the farm boy days, um, but it also stems from being raised by a single mom. And, and most of my strongest influences um, come from the strong women in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my grandmother, Daisy, who, uh, who passed away many years ago, my mom, my, my aunt Patty, <clears throat> my sister. And I had the good fortune of being the firstborn uh, child and the firstborn grandchild. So I had a lot of love and attention. Um, in fact, my mom raised me and my brother and my sister as a single mother for the majority of our lives from from about the time I was in fourth grade, which would put my sister in first grade and my little brother uh, not even in school yet. She raised us for the most part as a single mom. And I watched her and other wonderful women in my life uh, take a great amount of abuse, um, physical abuse, psychological abuse. And, and people had said to me before, it's like, you know, it's like, wow, it must have been so hard on you. You know, the boyfriends and the multiple marriages and those things, it must have been so hard on you. And I said, what do you mean? I said, um, I learned something from every one of them, whether that person was a wonderful person or whether that person was a jerk. If they were a wonderful person, I said, I'm going to be like that when I grow up. If they were a jerk, I said, I'm never going to be like that when I grow up. Um, so you learn from all those things. And my family have always been uh, the, a group of people who stand up for underdogs. We were always bringing home the strays, whether they had two legs or four. You know, we, we always looking after other people. And, you know, would, would, if, if we were down to our last potato, we'd give you half, you know. Um, and I think that's part of what this conviction is. Um, but, but I think it also, it also goes back to that period of time when I said I wasn't going to shovel coal into any machine anymore. I asked myself, well, what do you want to do? And I said, um, I've got three great choices that I could do. You know, I could, I could become a, uh, a professor. I could become a teacher because if I can change the minds of people, I can change the world. Or I could get involved in politics because if I can change the rules, I can change the world. Or I could become involved in some social justice organization or social change organization, and I could get my hands dirty and change the world. And when I started working with Alice Ferris um, and she introduced me to the world of nonprofit, I realized I can do all three. I can be involved in changing the rules. I can be involved in changing people's minds and hearts, and I can get my hands dirty too and make little changes in the world. And as consultants, we get to work with some wonderful organizations. Um, one of them that is a deeply a core part of my philanthropic philosophy um, are the, the organizations um, ran by Hopi tribal members, uh, the Native American group um, Hopis. Mm -hmm. And the first presentation that Alice and I worked on, the very first nonprofit um, a client that she called me in to help <clears throat> help with was the Hopi Education Endowment Fund. 
small organization that helps provide educational resources for Hopi of all ages, from, from kindergarten to postdoctoral work. And just, just an amazing group of people. And we came out of that first meeting. I sat in the parking lot, just kind of numb. And I looked at Alice and I said, this is it. This is what I'm meant to do. This is what's been missing in my life. And it's been a great ride. Thank you so much, Jim. That was a wonderful way to understand why you do what you do and how important it is. Jay, let me let me give you three Hopi words before we wrap up. Um, there are, if, if our listeners choose to uh, do a search, an online search, Google or whatever, for Hopi values, you'll find a list of values on the website of the Hopi Foundation, which does wonderful work. And we've been, uh, had good fortune to work with them as well. And there are three concepts on the Hopi values, which I think are the core of philanthropy. And they are the words uh, sumitnawa, um, uh, namitnawa, and hitanawa. And I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I'm a pahana, you know, big white guy. Um, and my Hopi friends will forgive me. But sumitnawa means to take an action for the common good. Okay, you do something because it serves the community. It's the concept of benevolent community. Namitnawa mm -hmm. um, means to take that action without being asked and with no expectation of reward. And that's philanthropy. And Kitanawa means to take that action whether or not anyone will know you were the one who did it. And that's that anonymous donor that hands you a folded check and thanks you for your work. And that's the core of my philanthropic beliefs. The Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions for not-for-profit organizations. Our producer is Terrence Diggs. Our theme music is composed and performed by Ahmad Ibrahim. The voice introduction to our program is performed by Ryan Ibrahim. You can subscribe to the Mastermind series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, livecasts, and flash classes with our featured masterminds at donorsearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.